0: Hi everyone and welcome to the Learner's Corner podcast. My name is Caleb Mason and I am so glad and grateful that you have decided to spend a few minutes of your day here with me in the Learner's Corner. And today I am honored to be joined by Sarah Bessie to talk with her about her brand new book, Field Notes for the Wilderness Practices for an Evolving Faith now sarah is uh somebody that i've read several of her other books uh before uh jesus feminist and uh out of sorts as well and so whenever the opportunity came about to talk with her on the podcast i uh, i jumped at it because you know i really enjoy learning from her always enjoy her perspective as well and you know if if you are on this journey of lifelong learning as i am i would highly recommend that you subscribe to my Substack, to where I give different recommendations for some of the best things that I am learning from. And uh, you can find the link to that in the show notes. And all you gotta do is sign up with your email and it'll be delivered to you uh, each time that I recommend something as well. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Sarah, and then we will jump into my conversation with her. Sarah Bessie is the editor of the New York Times Global and Mail and Publishers Weekly best-selling book, A Rhythm of Prayer. She is also the author of three popular and critically acclaimed books, Miracles and Other Reasonable Things, Out of Sorts, Making Peace with an Evolving Faith, and Jesus Feminist. And she also leads Evolving Faith, a conference and community for wanderers and wanderers. And she lives in Calgary, Alberta, with her husband and their four children. And you can find her at sarahbessie.com. And without any further wait here is our conversation well sarah it is good to have you on the learner's corner podcast today
1: oh i'm so happy to be here thanks for having me caleb
0: yeah and you know one of the places that i love to begin uh a lot of my conversations with is I love hearing the story behind works of art and in this case Mm. you've written you know field notes for the wilderness and I would just kind of love to hear you know some of the things or some of the events that led to this idea and even you deciding to write this book.
1: Sure sure that's a great great place to start um long ago no I'm kidding (laughs) Um, you know, I I underwent my own first experience with an evolving faith, um, you know, in my, like a lot of people, I think, developmentally, like in my early 20s, and it was a profoundly lonely experience, and it was um, isolating and disorienting. I know a lot of people use language like deconstruction or faith shift, that sort of thing, um, but it was, it was lonely. I think it's probably the best way to say that and scary, right? I think a lot of times whenever you're losing the thing that has felt like the most stable part of you, um, and you're questioning those things, it it's disorienting, not just for you, but even for the people around you. And I didn't really get online until a few years after that, you know, and I've gone through my own kind of rhythms of with an evolving faith in the 20 years since then, or 25 years since then. Um, And I started kind of leading and writing in this lane um, probably about 10 or 12 years ago, Um, just as a writer and just as something that I was, you know, again, it's something that I'm interested in myself. It's been a big part of my own story. It's something that I feel like needs to be normalized and blessed as something that's part of our spiritual formation. And, and, you know, me being me and coming from more of a Pentecostal or charismatic background, I'm going to say it's an invitation from the Holy Spirit, right? Right. Um, and so I think a lot of those things kind of is what ended up leading us to creating um, a community that I still lead called Evolving Faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and I co-led that and co-founded it with uh, my friend Rachel Held Evans, um, who sadly passed away about five years ago or almost mm-hmm. five years ago now, which is hard to get my head around oh. a number like that. Um, but at the time, you know, we were just writing alongside of each other and we were writing in similar spaces and we had become friends and um, she had just published searching for Sunday which is just an incredible book about loving and leaving and finding the church Um, and then I had written one that was kind of in that same lane and so we started evolving faith and that has been kind of a community and a conference and you know podcast and a few of the things that we've done over the years and so that's a bit of a long runway to say that this book to me represents like more than 10 years worth of things I learned the hard way, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Um, And so it's less of like, you know, like a traditional memoir and more of what I would maybe characterize as like narrative theology or like this idea of like, yes, there's some of my own stories and some of my own stuff in there. But ultimately what I was wanting to do was kind of gather up all these like practices and postures and even some of the prayers that have served me well over the last 25 years, but I think especially in the last 10 that I've been, you know, way more kind of involved in other people's stories and other people's experiences and had the benefit of, of learning from all of that um, to say, all right, here's, here's the things that if I met someone and they were like at the threshold for the, what we call the wilderness, mm-hmm. right? Like just right at that very beginning stage and you're scared and you're overwhelmed and you are lonely and you're losing kind of not only your sense of God, but even your places of belonging, What are the things that I want to kind of tuck into someone's back pocket and say, here, this will make you feel less lonely. This will help you feel a little bit more hopeful. This will give you some things to do or to embrace or to practice or to be aware of, even to offer like, hey, here's some of the ditches that I fell into. Um, I think even from that perspective, it was like, you know, we were chatting just before we started recording about where I live. And I live right at the foothills of the Rocky Mountains. So we spend like a ton of time outside, like most people do around here and a field guide is always a bit more informal right Mm -hmm. it's always something that you you can fold up and tuck in your pocket or in your backpack and it'll tell you not just what to watch out for and what trail to take but it'll also tell you where places of beauty are and where invitations to rest are and things they want to make sure you don't miss and that's kind of what i envisioned when i was coming into it
0: yeah i was gonna say and it it definitely reads that way um as well too of just what you were saying like it feels like you know someone just asked you the question of i mean just what just what you were saying of like hey i'm entering into the wilderness what do i need to know and right yeah yeah um can you paint for me and i know that you've done a little bit but paint for me a picture of like the wilderness and like what that looks like i know that you mentioned Mm -hmm. like loneliness in there um but yeah i would just be very curious to hear your thoughts on like what does and and i know that that part of it is just like so personal too yeah um so true but can you maybe paint just a little bit of what the what the wilderness can tend to look like or how we how we feel in that
1: yeah absolutely it's you know wilderness is kind of the metaphor we've really sort of gathered around in evolving faith i think because it does have this sense of like space but also danger to it um I remember, I want to say it was like at our 2019 gathering, Barbara Brown Taylor was like, if it can't kill you, you're just in a park. (laughs) 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 Or something like that. And that really resonated with me because that's kind of how it can feel. So I think that the way that we've kind of looked at it or how I've approached it is like, you know, in a lot of ways, the city is like this metaphor for certainty and for stability and for productivity and belonging um and for someone like me who's you know a nice straight white lady married with kids um the city's kind of built for people like me right like we are we're the people who that's that that way i can thrive there easily there's a lot of people who could never belong or you know whether that's you know for for any number of of reasons or, or aspects of their identity and so for someone like me you know, having that feeling of crossing the threshold into the wilderness, it it, it it that even sounds a bit more gentle than how it actually can feel, which is that your your doubts and your questions or your life experiences or the formulas that you were given, or the scripts that you were told to follow, um, just run out. And you find yourself almost thrown like kind of body and soul out the gate into this place of like, danger and, and openness, and there's not a lot of trails, and there you feel like you're kind of finding your own way a lot of the times. And so even how we envisioned Evolving Faith was like, all right, well, let's just set up a little campfire out here, and let's just kind of set up this little spot where everybody can throw out a quilt, there's a bonfire, you can rest for a while, um, and maybe everybody will keep moving in a different direction, right? You can't necessarily say that everyone's going to have the exact same you know path or, or experience that you will. But that sense of companionship, um, and of finding each other, of realizing that you're not as alone as you felt, um, it's, it's a really healing experience. And so it can make the wilderness feel a little bit less, um, overwhelming maybe. Mm
0: -hmm. You know, it also brings to my mind, and I know that this is towards the beginning of the book, but you talk about the role of grief as well Mm -hmm. as it plays. And I mean, and you, you, you know, kind of alluded to it too, of, um, it's those, it's those, la- those, uh, that loss of um, belief or how we saw the world or even a person in our lives or our circumstances. Yeah. Um, can you just tease out a little bit of kind of the role in grief as it, as it intersects with the
1: wilderness? I think so. I mean, I think that a lot of us have had this experience almost of like loss, if that makes sense. And sometimes it's that you've lost maybe your old version of God, or you've lost your version of community. Sometimes you lose your own version of yourself. You lose people. Like that's almost one of the more common experiences for those of us who find themselves in the midst of an evolving faith is that sense of loss. Um, and so you can, right? You can cycle through a lot of those different stages of grief, Um you know, that many of us are familiar with now, like the denial, the anger, the acceptance, you know, all that sort of thing. I think one of the things that surprised me most about learning more and more about grief, not just from like a metaphorical sense in my spirituality, but even in terms of like the embodied sense, like in my actual life in terms of loss, um, it's been realizing that I think all my life, I thought that those stages and steps were like a linear path and i think one of the things that i've learned in that experience is actually this is just a thing you cycle in and out of and you you can visit and revisit almost any one of those stages at any given time and even later on after elizabeth Kubler ross passed away and her partner um, in research um, began to kind of like continue to explore you know they added the sixth stage of grief called finding meaning and and that's, I think, the stage maybe where the book was born out of, was this thing of like, all right, can we make this have some meaning? Can we make all of these experiences and all these moments kind of have that sense of meaning or have that sense of, um, maybe it's not even acceptance as much as it is just a sense of like, all right, I'm, I'm, you're not alone in that. And mm-hmm. that that's, that's a feeling that many of us, I think, can experience and have along the way.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, we're... Like just reflecting back on on your own experience with the wilderness, I'd be curious to hear like what's like one or two other like surprising things that you've learned about the wilderness?
1: Those are those are great questions. I um I think one of the things that surprised me really early in the process was realizing that a lot of the narratives that I had been told about this experience actually weren't holding up in my experience. Mm that for instance like you know a lot of times much of our christian communities and much of our churches are kind of built on this premise of like literalism and if this then that right like there's there's an answer book there's yeah. a guy there's a right way to be in the world and this idea of like that not working out for you anymore well it sounds like a you problem right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Instead of something that's actually inherent to who you are. And so in some ways, it's it's completely developmentally normal. And I think one of the things that surprised me was realizing that almost all of us who find ourselves in this space did not end up here because we were faithless, or because we were never really true believers. Oftentimes, we were the kids who were like, the most believingest, <laughs> you know? like we were the youth group kids, we were yeah. the ones who were like, all in. And yet, so it's even more disorienting when we find ourselves here, when we were like the poster children for what it was. And so then when you find yourself in a place like this and you realize like, oh, no, 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 I didn't land here because I was faithless. I landed here because I was faithful and because Mm -hmm. God is faithful. And this is actually an invitation um, to something that's deeper and truer and more grown up um, and beautiful even. And so I think that was one thing that really surprised me was thinking that this was something that you avoided if you were more Jesus-y. Mm. When it turns out that like, hey, if you if you think that the gospel is actually good news and you think that Jesus meant some of the things he said, you're going to end up here because of the state of evangelicalism right now. And so that's just that's just a, a lived reality, I think for the majority of us. And so that was surprising to me. I think the other thing that was really surprising to me was how much um, after all these years, I ended up holding on to so much that I thought I was going to throw away. Hmm. And that was surprising to me because I think in the initial stages of deconstruction or a phase shift for me, I was so incandescently angry and just, you know, questioning and and filled with like this flailing kind of energy of just I could not have, I wanted to reject everything. Like I did not want to call myself a Christian, did not want anything to do with institutional religion, all those sorts of things. And some people they they stay there forever, and that can be a valid path. Like don't misunderstand me. But for me personally, I was really surprised by how the further I kept going and the more healing work I underwent and the more I learned about Jesus and the more I, I studied scripture and the more it turned out the more I loved and returned to some of those things that I thought I was rejecting. Um, even some of the things that, you know, I thought for sure I wouldn't hang on to, like, you know, like being someone who's a, like, I'm, I'm a really deep believer in prayer Mm -hmm. and prayer has become like more important to me now on the other side of all these years of, you know, deconstruction or whatever you want to call it than, than it ever was before. Same thing with my Bible. Like I love and read and spend more time in scripture now Than I ever did as like a little baby fundamentalist who was like convinced that this was going to be an answer book and a guidebook and like a weapon, right? And so I think some of those things were some of the things that surprised me is how some of the things I thought I was going to let go of ended up becoming more precious to me, even if I understand them very differently than Mm. I used to. And even if I practice them very differently than I used to, Um, the restoration of those things has been rather sweet,
0: Mm. Okay. A couple of, couple of things that I want to follow up from there. Going back to the, the first thing that surprised you um, and how our 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 act of faithfulness can sometimes lead us into the wilderness. Is there like an example that you can think of in your life of how you saw that play out for you?
1: Oh, uh, dozens. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I had this one experience. I remember this so clearly, Caleb, I think because... It was, it felt like a real turning point for me. Um, And it was around this, around this time that I was like really deep in the, I don't want to call myself a Christian anymore kind of stage. Like I just, anytime I looked at anything to do with institutional religion, and this was 20 years ago. So, I mean, I can imagine that people nowadays have a lot more ammunition for this than I did then. Um, But it was like in the aftermath of 9-11, Iraq war Mm -hmm. and all those sorts of things. We were in ministry. And I remember having this moment. Where i was like well i can't even use this like lang- this language anymore i can't even use these these labels any longer and i had this moment where i was like well I'm, I'm just gonna call myself a jesus follower because to me that felt like a big difference in my mind it's not but it felt like it was to yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. i needed the intellectual and emotional space of it and so i started doing that and i had this day where like i literally was like well if i'm gonna call myself a jesus follower i should probably figure out what that means like who mm-hmm. is jesus And it sounds a little bit funny to me now from this, you know, standpoint, but at the time it's like, well, I'm a charismatic, you know, Protestant. So where am I going to go? I'm going to go to the Bible and it's going to be sloppy and experiential. Of course it is. And so that's, that was a huge part of the story. But I remember having this moment sitting at our kitchen table. My husband was in the kitchen. He was washing, I don't know, some veggies from like the garden or something at the kitchen sink. And I was at the table and I was, and so I had spent all this time in the gospels, just wanting to get to know Jesus. And I think one of the things I'd realized is like, hey, I'm super good at church and being a churchy lady. I, I actually have no idea who Jesus is and what what it means to follow Jesus. And, and so that resetting and letting myself like even get angry and misunderstand and have to be like, well, well this doesn't sound right. And I need to look into this and you know, like whatever else, like, that kind of wrestling was a, a years long process for me. But I remember having this moment sitting there, I was reading the Sermon on the Mount and I think it was in Luke 6. And I remember like just slamming my Bible shut and looking at my husband and being like, like angry, like angry in my heart, Caleb, and being like, I would have followed this guy. Like I would have, if I would have known all this, if I would have known all of this stuff right now, like no wonder people dropped their nets and chased after him. No wonder it upended empires. No wonder people wanted to murder him. This stuff is, this is worth building a life on. And I almost felt kind of cheated. Like at that point in my life, I was nearly 30. I was like, how have I been in this for so long? And yet this feels like I'm it feels like I'm reading it for the first time or I'm hearing it for the first time. And it was something similar to that, I think, multiple times, you know, in, whether it was in scripture or it was in relationships with people, whether it was in, you know, the expansion of my understanding of God's grace and goodness and the inclusion and welcome of God. I was like, God, I was missing it for so long, and look at how beautiful, and good, and redemptive, and 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 even holy, this yes. kind of path of life could be, like, you know, another moment that I remember having, and this was more recently, um, I was at this retreat for LGBTQ plus Christians mm-hmm. in the mountains, and it was like, you know, I, I just got to come and, and do a prayer, and kind of be, be a little bit of a small part of the gathering, but being in that community and being in that retreat center years after I'd gotten my own work, years after I'd been in, embodied in my own kind of life. and was still kind of learning a lot of those things. But even at that point, I remember standing in that room with all these people who had been so profoundly rejected by Christianity and by churches, and even in many cases, by their families. And they were just worshiping with like their whole heart, like just singing their hearts out to everything that they believed and hoped about the kingdom and everything they believed and hoped about God. And I just was like overwhelmed. I was like, if I had been that rejected and that marginalized and that hurt, I don't know that this would be my response and the holiness of their discipleship and their example, it it messed with me. It made me be like, yeah, there's something worth hanging on to here because look at this. This is beautiful.
0: You know, the... The other thing that I want to um, touch on, and you you already mentioned a couple of examples for it, but that was that one of the one of the parts that really stood out to me whenever I was going through the book is just what you were mentioning about how there's things that we think that we've maybe outgrown, or mm-hmm. that we have uh, moved beyond, and yet uh, we discover the new value in them, or we look at them a different way. And you mentioned prayer, and you mentioned the Bible too, and I'd just be curious to hear. You know, maybe just anything else that really stands out to you that you thought, oh, I'm I'm gonna get rid of this. And it has gained more meaning for you in your life.
1: You know, I think one of the ones that jumps to me, um, or jumps in my mind maybe, is um is around some of like the rhythms of the church. Because I grew up very low church, Caleb. Like down in the dirt, like we were first generation believers, like we, small, happy, clappy churches that meet, like for me, church doesn't smell like incense. It smells like chlorine at the leisure center. <laughs> you know, like, that's a, these, these are my people, like folding chair people, tambourines in six corners kind of people. And so I didn't have a whole lot of openness or awareness of like the church calendar. I didn't even know what Lent was or any of those sorts of things. Like that wasn't my background at all. And so um, for me, one of the things that I ended up like, maybe you could call it a reclaiming, but for me it almost felt like a brand new kind of thing was this idea of like, oh, there's, there's room for sorrow in mm-hmm. faith. And so for someone like me who came up in this prosperity gospel, you know, shiny, happy Jesus people where all your prayers get answered. And here's the six steps to making sure that you get everything you've ever wanted or needed, uh, including a good parking spot at Target. And, you know, then you end up but kind of this like mismatched view of God that's like very shiny. And, and then when life is going to do what it does and you have find yourself as kind of part of that company of people who have unanswered prayers, you're left kind of wondering, well, well, what is it then, right? And so one, that's one of those things that was kind of returned to me or that I began to realize. It's like I thought that I had to leave Christianity altogether behind, but it turned out I just needed a richer, broader bigger, even more ancient kind mm-hmm. of faith, maybe than what I had had before. And so simple things like Advent, which acknowledges how much longing we have, not just longing then, but long how much longing we have now for things to be made right, and the acknowledgement that things aren't all as they should be. Um, even th- So I mean, I'm maybe a bit more attracted to some of those like um, more, I want to say sadder seasons of the of the church calendar, but I think that's where I needed some healing. Yeah. Right. Whereas someone who maybe came out of a different faith tradition would be like really drawn towards some of those practices around, you know, different different functions and and whatever else. But for me it felt like, oh my, my sorrow is safe here mm. with God. My sorrow that there's there's room for my grief in mm-hmm. church in a way that I never had known that there could be. Um, that I was allowed to be a whole person. And there was room for lament and rage and questions and longing. And 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 because I was able to make room for those, that opened up the room for things like hope. Mm. And it opened up room for things like grace and love and some of those those other things that, that a lot of us are attracted to, but don't realize you need to have that counterbalance almost.
0: Yeah. You know, you, you just got me thinking and just appreciating just how like the gospel literally does speak it speaks to everything, the sadness, that the the happiness, the joy, all of that. Um, And yeah, almost like
1: you're allowed to be a full human. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) You know, which I don't know that a lot of our religious traditions made room for the fact that there's a total experience of that. Mm -hmm.
0: Would you, you know, I would just be curious for you to, to tease out a little bit more of just how are you even, even maybe how our humanity intersects with the wilderness, too? Because of just what you were, and you know, I don't necessarily have something specific, but you just got me thinking down this route of like the wilderness does it can reveal parts of our humanity that we didn't even realize that we weren't mm-hmm. living out in that.
1: Yeah. No, it's so true. I think in some ways, almost, um, it does feel a bit refining. And I know like for us, you know, we recently had a a big move as a family. So we've got four children. Um, Most of them are teenagers. And we moved provinces, Um, moved from BC to Alberta. And we went through this whole big process of like, what you do, right? You're going through all the reams of paper you've hung on to just in case, right? You're going through all the the stuff and 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 sorting through like what's gonna stay and what's gonna go. And it felt very similar to that, I think, when it comes to finding your humanity again on the other side of this, that you don't have a script you need to follow, that it is this this improvisation and this flow even with the spirit. Um, and and learning to trust that, right? And so for me, like moving almost kind of became like this metaphor of like yeah, there's going to be some things you got to let go of. And there's going to be a lot of things you leave behind. And then there's some things that you carry with you that you think you're going to love, and then you get there and they don't actually belong anymore. And, you know, and, and then all these different kind of aspects and, and places and, and finding new community and finding new places to put down your roots and, you know, realizing what really matters in the midst of all of that. And so I think that some of those experiences helped almost kind of like give this structure or this um, this pathway for that that I found really helpful. I mean, Phyllis Tickle talked about that a lot in her book, The Great Emergence, where she talked about how like every 500 years the church goes through like this massive rummage sale and, you know, great Schism, on the reformation. you know, and right now we're kind of due, right? Yeah. Like not right now, it's kind of that time. And she was saying that back in like early, you know, 2000s was when I very first heard her start to teach like that. Um, what a mind, gosh, I just, you know, her work has, has been so so phenomenal for, I think, especially for someone like me who needed that like, Oh, your particular teeny tiny version of Christianity is not the only one. Turns out there's lots, you know, <laughs> like, there's, there's a whole experience of lots of different ways to be yep. a Christian other than just the one that your pastor told you, you know. And so she was really great for that. But that's the, the rummage sale analogy I have loved for years and years now because of that clarity of like, yeah, there's some things that got to go. Mm-hmm. And there's some things that you want to hang on to. And and then you you move forward. Right on the other side of that, there's a clearing and a cleansing that almost happens. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I think reflecting back on reading your book, I think probably the biggest takeaway, and I want to read, I want to uh, read this quote from there, is, uh, oh, let me see, I thought I had it. Oh yeah, here we go. This may be some of your deepest, most uncelebrated work, and you're talking about repentance in there. And I don't know. Mm-hmm. I I think I think part of it is just how, even just how you how you wrote that sentence of just like repentance is going to be the thing that is probably going to be one of the most transformational things, but nobody's going to applaud you for it, right? And <laughs> I, I would just love to have you just elaborate on that because it's again, it's just, it's one of those things to where like, at at least in my life, like I'm, I'm trying to look for the things that are going to help me become and, and live out being more like Jesus in my life. And it, and and what stands out to me is it's often the things to where it's like, it's transformational. Nobody's going to give you an applause for it. Nobody's going to go, wow, great job, Caleb. I can see that you've repented (laughs) recently. Um, (laughs) But would you mind just elaborating on that because that like I said that's probably going to be like my biggest takeaway just from reading the book.
1: You know, it's funny because that's actually one of the chapters I wrestled with the most, Caleb. Mm. Because I was like how how do you talk well about repentance now? Yeah. I think especially because so many of us came from spaces where re- the notion of repentance was almost weaponized against us. And it carries a lot of baggage. It's one of those words that feels like, "He, is that a word I really want to use anymore? And yet I I tend to be a little bit stubborn in that. Like, I like big, big words like that. You know, like I'm just still, you know, the kid who's going to be like, you know what, this is powers and principalities. That's like, you know, like I'm still that person. But the words like repentance, you know, have meaning for me. But I think the main reason why is because I wanted to almost like rescue it in some ways. I think sometimes people think that, you know um the transformation has ended and it it just never does and i think that in in the rhythms of repentance that i see it's not this like one and done thing but there was this invitation of like you turn and you go in a new direction right it's that it's that metanoia word right that the changing of a mind that leads to the changing of a life and so the idea of repentance and landing in a place of repentance in the wilderness—you are often—it's—it's it's really easy, and 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 it's necessary to look around at all the ways that everyone else is, you know, getting it wrong, and and that's that that can be true, absolutely, it can be, and the hard thing will be looking and saying, where was I complicit? Where did I join in? Where did I miss it? Um, where did I miss opportunities? to follow Jesus here? Why did I miss opportunities to listen well and to love people well? And then dealing honestly with that aspect of ourselves. It's painful and it's awful. Like, don't like, (laughs) it always is. But there's this invitation then of like, it's not just feeling bad or feeling sad or kicking rocks or beating yourself up. Um, There is an invitation to engagement in repentance that I love. And this idea of like, um, I think in the book, I reference a story that Austin Channing Brown told in her book, um, I'm Still Here, mm-hmm. uh, which is an incredible book and she's an incredible leader. But this, she talks about how many, how often, you know, white, she would speak at a church. Um, she's a black woman. She would speak at a church and a lot of, there would be this long line of white people who would want to like repent for their racism or repent for things that they had done wrong. So first of all, don't do that. That's not great. Second of all, <laughs> second of all, She developed this, this way of responding where she would say to them, what are you going to do differently? Mm -hmm. And that to me, I think is, is the right question to ask. Like it's, it, it places, it takes the burden that they were wanting absolution from, and they wanted to place that on her to absolve them. And it places it very gently, but very clearly back on you as, as the individual, like, what are you going to do differently? And i think that that's often the invitation maybe that we encounter in the in the wilderness or we encounter in these moments of saying yeah there's places where i failed there's places where i where i got it wrong there's places where i preached messages or made choices or did things that now i never in a million years would do what what am i going to do now and that to me i feel like really speaks to the co-creative nature of the gospel it speaks to the invitation of the spirit to participate It means that you're not just like a pawn being moved across the the board, but you are actually participating in what God's up to in the world. And and then you get to be part of repair, which is like humbling, but awesome at the same time. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, uh, another quote uh, that you have in the book, and you actually uh, quote Blaise Pascal, which I would love uh, to have you kind of tease out also is, um, you know, he writes in difficult times, carry something beautiful in your heart. And- Mm -hmm first of all, you know, feel free to k- kind of tease out the importance of that. But then I would also love to just hear what is, what what's something beautiful that you have carried on in your heart during difficult times?
1: Mm, I love that quote. I, I think that's one of the things that actually maybe inspired why I wanted to write the book altogether was because something that emerged In practice for us at Evolving Faith over all these years, um, both with Rachel, but then again um, with Jeff Chu, who led the community with me for a number of years, and all of the the staff and the team around us, is we began to realize like, hey, it's not enough just to name what you're against. Mm -hmm. That we've got to be able to articulate and lean into and live into what we are for. And that's not to say that they should be pitted against each other, because I I think that that sort of binary is kind of what we're we're trying to almost resolve, right? Of like, well, this is good, this is bad, whatever else. Mm -hmm. But this sense of like, keep going through what you reject or what you um, criticize or what you were against, but keep pushing through that until you land at what you're for. And then, and then lean into that. Like, what does it look like to actively be for the repair of the world? What does it look like to to do some of those things? And that's where I think the importance of beauty really comes in. And, um, you know, even that spiritual formation of like wonder and curiosity and letting yourself say things like, I don't know, you know, and, and having an openness to other people's stories and possibilities of, of not, you know, kind of thinking that you have to like construct a box for God and seal yourself inside of it, right? And so... I think that that's, that's maybe where some of that began. Um, And so for me, I think that even where it began to go was to say, you know what, Um, I think, I think we need to learn how to love the world again. You know, and there's this really lovely um, rendering that Eugene Peterson does of this passage in scripture where he he basically says like, you know, yes, God so loved the world, but like what he, how he rendered it was, um, and I don't remember the exact reference, but it was like, um, mostly what God does is love you. Mm -hmm. And this idea of like, this is mostly what God does that God loves the world this much, this, this kind of particularity and this kind of fragility and this kind of beauty and this kind of ordinariness is actually the thing that's, that's really beautiful. And so for me, you know, some of the things that are, you know, the things that are beautiful that I check in my pocket, you know, or that I hang on to for those days are, are some of those very ordinary things. They're not the big sweeping grand gestures. They're not the, you know, the big milestone moments. They're oftentimes just those quiet moments of like reading, reading a picture book aloud aloud with my youngest, you know, who still keeps us pretty firmly in the little kid stage of life, but all these teenagers around. And, you know, having really long, winding, good conversations with those teenagers about what they're believing and thinking and wrestling with and seeing them kind of like becoming who they were always were, but like more is really beautiful. Um You know, my marriage, but also even things like being outside, being in the trees, being near water, like those are things that you can feast on for a really long time. And I think that that's even how you continue to kind of refuel for everything that's ahead. These are These are the gifts of God for the people of God, right? And these are the things that make it all worthwhile. It's all the places and moments where we find beauty and love and gentleness and goodness. Um, You can can feast there.
0: Yeah. Well, I got one or two other questions that I wanna ask you, but before that, I always love just giving people the opportunity to just talk about anything that we haven't covered that is just top of mind that you wanna make sure that we're covering either in regards to the book or in regards uh, to the conversation
1: think I think one of the only honestly I can't really think of much Caleb to be honest we yep. have had such great questions I think one of the things that has surprised a lot of people and that I think is important it comes near the end of the book where it talks about like the fact that you're allowed to to have joy yeah and I think that that's one of those things that oftentimes people you know, in all of the loss and the, the complexity and the disorientation of deconstruction, um, all the ways that you lose belonging, all the ways that you kind of have to reorient yourself to the world, all those different things, um, even heal right from from things that were less than ideal in your story or your circumstances or your faith tradition, because some people have a lot of a lot of baggage to to handle there. <laughs> God, there's goodness. And I, I wonder sometimes if we've so oversold the, the hard part of it that we miss like the expansiveness and beauty and joy and goodness that can happen. Like, you know, it's, yeah, it's a slippery slope, but like, it's like riding a toboggan down a hill. Like it can also be really fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is terrifying. <laughs> I think that's something that I've oftentimes maybe wished I would have heard a little bit more, especially in those early stages when I was cataloging and re reframing so much was like oh there's there's a hope for joy and mm-hmm. joy matters here and it's important to prioritize happiness and goodness that it's not it's not silly or less than or less holy or like this division between sacred and secular like your joy matters and your fullness of expression of joy and goodness matters and I think that a lot of that is restored to you. Mm-hmm.
0: So, uh one of the questions that I definitely wanted to ask about is in the book, you know in the whenever we're in the wilderness, you talk about the importance of good teachers as well yeah. and what we can learn from them. and i I would just love to hear what's one of uh who is one of your previous teachers that you've learned from in the wilderness, and what is uh something that you learned from them that really helped you?
1: Um I'll go all the way back. the early 2000s in the emerging church which some some people who are listening are no doubt cackling in their cars right now (laughs) but um i found myself on the outskirts of the emerging church movement um during that season and that was when i encountered brian mclaren and tony campolo and they were electrifying for someone like me um i could not every new book that dropped i devoured but I remember reading this one book that they published um, together. I think it was called Adventures in Missing the Point. And they went through kind of like a bunch of a hot topic issues at the time in Christianity and whatever else. I'm sure if I went back and read it now, you know, I'm sure they would say like, oh, that's cute, you know. Yeah. But at the time, it's like a big deal. And and even Brian McLaren's book later on called The Generous Orthodoxy um, of like, oh, there's, there's more than one way to think about these things. And there's more than one way to be faithful. And there's more than one way than just this narrow, teeny, tiny path than what I had been told. But just the, the seriousness with which they engaged with questions, the fact that they didn't judge um, or belittle people like me, meant meant the world to me. I had so few teachers at that stage of my life. And they opened up the door for me for so many others of so many different types of, of people, you know, that now it feels like this huge, rich tapestry of voices and experiences and stories and, and, and learning over all these years. Um, but it's... I I will always have a tremendous amount of gratitude in my heart for that. Mm -hmm. Um, And just even the permission and like the framework or the sense of like, Oh, you can do this and you won't die from it. It's
0: okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the last question that I have, and it's kind of like a two-parter is um, uh, I'm trying to think of how long ago it was sometime last year, you know, uh, I encountered this question called what's an idea that needs to die. And so I would be curious to hear kind of kind of that question in, in the flip side of as it concerns the wilderness, what's an idea about the wilderness that needs to die and what's an idea about the wilderness that needs more life in it or needs to hmm. be talked about more. And it could be something uh, in, in both of those things, you know, it could be things that we've talked about already or it could be something else.
1: I think... I think an idea that I would like to see die (laughs) about all of this is um, is I think the, the judgment and scare tactics around this very normal part of spiritual formation. Mm. Like there are just, there's a good business rolling right now of books and podcasts and preachers who are wringing their hands and wailing over the trend of deconstruction in the church. There's an air of condescension to it, and a profound commitment to misunderstanding that I find really frustrating. Um, A really big misrepresentation, often, of people who are searching, like they're told, you know, you're like we talked about this earlier, right? That you're faithless or whatever else. Even Mm -hmm. I've even heard people be like, "Well, you're looking for an excuse to sin," you know, or whatever else. And I'd like to see that die. I would, like, I would like to see that die. And then so I think the flip side of that is that I would like to see it more normalized and welcomed within our churches. You know, if most of our churches and faith communities are set up as those if this, then that communities, then what does it look like to have room for grownups who are intellectually curious and yet, like, really passionate about the gospel and who are learning, you know, new things? What does it look like to normalize that and, and create almost pathways and on ramps for that kind of deepening Um you know, with the spirit. And so, yeah, I think that that would be my answer.
0: Great. Well, Sarah, I know that people are going to want to keep up with you and get your book Field Notes for the Wilderness. Where's the best place for people to go to keep up with you?
1: Oh, sure. Um, So I'm just at sarahbessy.com. You can find links there for my newsletter, but also for my this book and all the other books um, that I've written, as well as some links over to Evolving Faith if people want to jump in over there um as well as on my socials i'm mainly on instagram um at sarah bessie just kind of all the places
0: (laughs) awesome well sarah thank you so much for being on the podcast today thanks for the great conversation and just thank you for doing the work and for sharing it with us today
1: thank you so much caleb i appreciate that
0: So coming out of that conversation with Sarah, here's a couple of things that I'm thinking about from it. One is uh, one of the quotes that are found in her book is actually from uh, Rachel Held Evans, who we uh, briefly mentioned in the, in the, um, in our conversation. And it's this uh, quote from her that says an evolving faith is simply a faith that has adapted in order to survive. And You know, I think that's one of the things that, that I really like that term of like evolving faith, as opposed to deconstruction, because it's, it's learning, it's understanding the dynamic that our faith can change and it can grow. And it doesn't always, it doesn't always look the same either. And that, that is a very okay thing for that to happen because life happens and You know if we're continuing to learn and and grow and you know uh, evolve then then we shouldn't look the same that hopefully one year from now i'm i'm different and maybe i'm not totally different you know i'm still caleb but i've i've gained a greater perspective on something or i've i've learned something or i've i've become a maybe maybe a fuller version of caleb or a more human version of Caleb as we were uh, talking about as well. And the other thing that really stands out to me is just this thing that we were talking about with repentance and that I think one of the, one of the greatest challenges for, for doing deep work, deep, deep transformational work is, is that oftentimes it's invisible and oftentimes we're the the ones who know best, or we're the ones who know most of the work that that needs to happen, and and I guess receiving that affirmation or not receiving that affirmation in some cases could be incredibly discouraging. And I guess what I what I want to remind myself of. And, and maybe maybe you need a reminder of too is that we're affirmed in Jesus and that he sees us and he knows what we're doing and he knows the work that we're going through of repentance, of changing our mind of, of doing things differently of living out the kingdom of God of living out what it means to be fully human and he sees us and he knows what we're doing. And so though those are just a couple of my thoughts from this conversation. And, you know, if you want to continue to learn from me, please subscribe to my Substack to where, again, I just give recommendations of some of the best things that I'm currently learning from. And it could literally be anything in that. So... Yeah, I think that's all that I have for today. I do want to say thank you to uh, Sarah Bessie for being on the conversation or being on the podcast and for a great conversation. Thank you to Sam Massey for creating the music for this podcast as well. And thank you for listening all the way to the end of the episode. My name is Caleb Mason, and until next time, keep learning and keep growing.